0: hi everyone um I think we'll just start off with a quick introduction first um, everybody on the panel very glad for all of us to be here together I think all of us represent and stand up for something that is really important and much um, needed in terms of like discussion in our society today so yeah I think we'll start off with a quick introduction first. Um, I, I will begin and then I think we can go one round before we start on today's agenda. So everybody, my name is Nicole. Um, I host and produce a podcast called Something Private. We are published under local media publisher Our Grandfather's Story and we're quite similar to local feed in terms of like the topics that we cover and like what we stand for. Um, we typically talk about issues related to Um, health and wellness um, as well as gender and societal issues so we have done a couple of episodes on like um, sexual assault and harassment as well as talking to lawyers about what kind of legal rights um, victims and survivors can get if they find themselves in that situation so very pleased to be on this panel today nice to meet all of you Um, yeah so just getting the ball rolling maybe we can go with Danny next
1: sure hi everyone i'm danny i am a lawyer based in singapore um, i've grown up in singapore been here my whole life pretty much although you wouldn't know it from the accent um, so i moved into this space after a few years of practice where i started experiencing sexual harassment in the workplace Um, and we'll get into this in more detail later but that is what made me start to speak out. I became involved in the Aim for Zero campaign with AWARE and I've been a spokesperson for that and up until the end of the campaign at the end of last year and so that was a two-year campaign, we pressed for zero tolerance of sexual violence, there were nine other survivors who were on this journey with me, we made lots of videos and spoke out and did quite a lot of raising awareness as much as we could. Um, I worked alongside the writers of This Is What Happens to Pretty Girls, the Pandemonium production. And since then, I've really just been working as an advocate for sexual violence survivors and also speaking out on issues of mental health.
0: Cool. Nice to have you on the panel, Danny. Maybe you can go with um, Suli next.
2: Hi, hi everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Suli, and I am a full-time musician. Um, I teach, I perform and I also run a music education platform called The Music Connection. Um, <clears throat> and on the side, I co-founded Soul Let Us Talk, which is a support group for uh, sexual assault and domestic violence women survivors. Um, yeah, so I started as a participant with AWARE in their support group. And I found that it was very helpful in my journey as a survivor. And uh, then on, I actually did a couple of runs with them as a facilitator myself. And just last year, in May 2020, we decided to take this independently with Soledis Talk.
0: Thank you, Suli. And last but not least, we have Dawn.
3: Hi everyone, I'm Dawn. Um, I'm currently studying my Master's in Art Therapy at LaSalle and uh, I co-founded Girl Talk, which is a campaign that aims to help uh, women on campus situations respond to to sexual harassment. Um, I'm also involved in a lot of philanthropy and like mental health as I try to incorporate it with my artistic practice. So I'm an artist and I do painting and pottery, but I also use are in order to engage um, vulnerable communities, for example, um, um, extra offenders from New Carries Mission, um, um, children with cleft lip surgeries in uh, Vietnam Outreach, and uh, the Asian Women Welfare Association. So right now I'm in, uh, doing a placement at Project X where we aim to help and empower sex workers um, both in terms of like legal aspects and also in terms of their social and um, sexual well-being. Thank you. Cool. Um, I just wanted to say it's
0: an honour being alongside the three of you today. All of you come from very interesting and amazing backgrounds. So I think for everybody tuning in, very excited to hear what the rest of the afternoon is going to be like in terms of the experiences you guys bring working with like victims and survivors. Um, I think we, just to get the conversation rolling, um, I think I will go through what the panel agenda is for today. So the panel is titled Breaking the Silence on Sexual Misconduct. And I think um, the reason why Local feet wanted to spotlight this in particular is because I think cases of sexual misconduct and harassment has been put under the spotlight in the past year. Um, there's been a rise of cases being reported in like tertiary schools, at workplaces, and a lot of women, even like, I, I would say, like us on the panel, we've used our social media presence and our digital space to kind of speak up on the issue. So I think this is really a panel for us to come together to discuss the emotional and physical boundaries, understanding terms like consent, respect, and providing support to those who have broken their silence. So I think to start off the conversation, um, let's begin by kind of breaking down the definition of sexual misconduct and the different forms of um, sexual misconduct. Yep. So I think you guys can feel free to answer it according to yeah, who, see, who, who sees fit. I guess.
1: Um, I'm happy to jump in on this first and then maybe other people can um, add on. So um, for me, um, I think in in a more generalized definition, uh, sexual harassment specifically is offensive, unwanted or unwelcome behavior of a sexual nature. And then we have a slightly different, but it could could encompass this as well, sexual abuse which is unwanted sexual activity, which may or may not involve force, um, and it usually does not involve consent. And then, of course, we have sexual aggression, which is using coercion up to a point, including rape. There are lots of different categories of this, and this can be demonstrated by both men and women, although of course, the things that we most commonly see in the media and things that are most commonly reported um, are incidents against women.
0: Thank you, Danny. Would anybody else like to chime in with their own understanding of what sexual misconduct is?
3: I think I can also add on to that. Um, Many times when I speak with uh, survivors, they often ask me like, did what uh did what happened, is it considered a sexual harassment? Did I actually get harassed? And a lot of the times I'll tell them, you know, well, as long as what as long as the perpetrator made you feel uncomfortable or violated or offended, I think that is the cue to say that your boundaries have been um broken and violated. And I think that a lot of the times in like while we are thinking about this idea of what sexual harassment is, um, just this Feeling of being uncomfortable is often enough to indicate that you can do something about it, or you can speak um, speak about whether you're uncomfortable and respond to it. So, um, I guess it's also about like relying a lot on your intuition. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Don. Suli. So we- um- would you like to add? Yeah.
2: Yeah, sorry. Yeah. To add on to that, Um, I think both Danny and Dawn put it very well. It is uh, a form of crossing over someone's boundaries. And um, there are a lot of different kinds of um, uh, sexual misconduct, like verbal, visual, physical. And I think a lot of people see sexual harassment as, oh, someone touched me. And it's just, it's more than that. Sometimes it is um, making inappropriate comments about your body, your face, um, what you wear, um, catcalling, things like that. That makes you feel really uncomfortable just walking down the street. Um, it can be like text messages, um, people asking for, for pictures or, or even taking pictures of you without consent um, and um, sending you pictures, asking for pictures, things like that. Um, and there's also obviously a physical form of sexual harassment, touching, leaning over, or stalking someone.
0: Thank you. Um, I think it's interesting because I guess all of the three of you brought up an interesting point, which is that um, the emphasis or the focus on the victim-slash-survivor or the person experiencing it and how i think the thing to consider is how this individual feels when an act is done on them so i think it kind of leads us very nicely to talk about consent um, so i do uh, consent is a buzzword right i think a lot of people have been talking about consent and rightfully so i'm glad that people are raising up conversations on consent but maybe you guys can give me a brief breakdown of what is consent and you know um yeah let's begin with that first
1: Okay, um, I'm happy to to start if you want. So um, for me, consent is a free, voluntary and active yes to being a participant in sexual activity. It is an enthusiastic yes and nothing less.
3: Yeah, I'd like to add on to that as well. at GoTalk, we firmly believe that consent is not the absence of no, but the presence of yes. And a lot of the time, um, it it doesn't have to be um, the the absence of consent. Um, people think that you know, just because I didn't say no, meant that I consented to a certain situation. But that's not the case because um, it's not consent if the situation was like partial, meaning. Um, the agreement was partial, like the person was either coerced into the situation or um, it was forced or it could have been withdrawn as well. So the person has every right to change their mind. Even if you, know, you, you engage in a certain activity and you decided, you know, this wasn't for me, they have every right to withdraw their consent and say, um, please stop, I'm not comfortable with this. And um, I also like to point out how um, a lot of the times women are, they feel responsible for not giving explicit consent. And I also want to say that, you know, everyone's not responsible for the abusive actions of others. And no matter where you are, what you wore, what you drank, you are not responsible for that. Um, Yeah.
2: I just wanted to, I guess,
0: follow up with a question because I like that you guys don't particularly, you mentioned that if it's not a resounding yes, and it's a no, right? Does this extend to relationships as well? Because I think it's quite a hotly debated topic, right? Like between partners, do you still have to give each other consent?
1: Uh, I think absolutely, absolutely. Um, you absolutely can say no to having sex with somebody that you are married to. Um, Everyone, every individual has the right to put their boundaries in place and have those boundaries respected, which is why, thank goodness, after many years of campaigning, thank you very much, Aware, and many, many other people, as of 2020, there is no longer immunity for rape within the context of marriage. So that is the legislation making very clear that they do not condone pushing through a lack of consent in the context of a marriage.
3: Yeah, and I think consent is also based on this idea of respect, like just basic respect and not expecting that you um, are entitled to any action or anything from anyone and how, um, yeah, basically.
2: Um, to add on to that, um, I think it would go beyond beyond marriage, even in like a romantic relationship or, um, any form of relationship, just because you've done it before or you had a relationship with someone and you break off, um, it doesn't imply that there's consensual, that you can do it again. Um, every single sexual act has to be consensual, which means an active yes.
0: Okay, we spoke quite a bit about um, specifically consent in the realm of like sexual activity, but I'm wondering how about instances of Cases outside that. So, I think one case that comes to mind um, quite recently is the incident where I think an athlete was um, harassed by her trainer for a couple of years. And I think these are things that we see quite regularly, right? Like um, instances of like uh, in the US, there's a very big case with um, the athlete and uh, a bunch of athletes and the physician. And how you know he had sexually violated them for many years. So I'm wondering, in instances where I guess there is a clear like hierarchy or like a power dynamic where supposed consent has been given on the part of like the individual, how do we kind of navigate that? Because it becomes a bit more tricky and the lines are a bit more blurred. So I think maybe like Danny can start off first because I think um you you are a yoga instructor yourself, if I'm not wrong, right? So how do we kind of work that, work around that? Yeah.
1: Absolutely, and I think uh, specifically, you're talking about the context of the American, the USA Gymnasts, which was a horrifying, horrifying example. But even here, we see, particularly in the yoga space, we've had a few incidents where um, the yoga instructor touched somebody in a way that they did not deem appropriate, well, quite frankly, it was not appropriate. You never needed to touch people in that way, in that context. But I think the overarching point to note is that it, it, it is always, as a student, let's say it is in the example of a yoga class, it is always your decision whether you are touched at all. So really what should be happening in most classes is you should be asking. As a teacher, you should be asking permission. As a student, you should either be allowed to give consent or at least have space to refuse if you don't want to be touched at all, if you don't want adjustments. Um, And I mean, my personal teaching philosophy um, and experiences of trauma, of course, have meant that my teaching style now has developed it's very detailed verbal cues i will use myself as the example of this is where you move your body but if i do go in to adjust somebody i will pause i will say are you okay with me placing my hand here and if they say yes then i will go ahead if they don't then i won't and that's absolutely fine and we need to give people the space to be able to refuse adjustments or touching and that's in all contexts not just yoga
0: Just to add on to that, I think um, Danny gives a very good perspective in terms of coming from a teacher to a student, right? But um, I think for maybe Don and Suli can take this one. But if it's a, if you're coming from the perspective of somebody who is may, maybe making a visit to uh, a doctor's clinic or you know having a relationship with a, somebody who is of a higher like hierarchy than you, and I think this kind of extends a bit into like workplace harassment. How would you kind of I guess? remove yourself from those kinds of situations, or like to explicitly express consent or a lack of consent?
2: Um, I think i start off with this one. Um, say if I'm in a doctor's visit, and, um, and I start to get a bit uncomfortable, I'll start with probably non-verbal cues first like oh, shift away, use my body language, use eye contact to make myself uh, look uncomfortable. And if the person still does not get the message, then I'll start to verbalize and say that, like, um, sorry, can you not do this? Um, or like, can I have some space? serious making me a little bit uncomfortable. So I would express my needs to the person.
3: I also want to add on to um, how... Whenever there is like a power difference and we are engaging with someone who is of a either higher social status or maybe um, they, they are a professional or an academic, um, we tend to rely on that. We tend to trust them more, especially because of their credibility. But perhaps it is important not to second guess your emotions and your intuition when you're not feeling comfortable in a certain situation. So back um, when we had a panel um, by Girl Talk, we also had a panelist, um, one of the university students named Jelinn. So she gave um, a little testimony on how she managed to respond to sexual harassment from um, a research assistant who kind of took advantage of the research situation and applied like heart monitors on her breasts, and he touched her inappropriately, and. Um, The whole situation made her second guess herself because she didn't know whether it was part of the research experiment, but she managed to document the whole thing on camera and she was also able to write an email to herself after the incident and detail every single thing that went down and um, she managed to get an investigation um, on the perpetrator and get him punished. So in that situation, you know, there's this great tendency to not trust your own emotions just because you're um, working with an expert on something else, but... Uh, I think feelings are not to be undermined in such situations. When it comes to establishing your boundaries, Yeah, I really like that example. Thank you for sharing because I think that, um, and
0: maybe I speak for the kind of younger generation when I say this. Okay, no, I, I don't think this is a younger generation thing. I think it's quite universal. When I say that nobody kind of walks out um, of their house, they step out of their house expecting to face like harassment or you know abuse or. Yeah, like any sort of violence. So, I think the immediate reaction, um, if you find yourself in that position, would be either to, like Don mentioned, right, to second guess yourself, and to say, like, okay, maybe this is not happening, or he just made he or she just made a mistake, right? Um, so I really like um that you gave the example. Although it does also feel like you know the responsibility of um response does fall on the on the shoulders of. Um, victims and survivors. I think that leads quite nicely to my second point on how does one, if they ever face sexual harassment, sexual assault, how should they respond? Is there like a, a bunch of steps that we can take? Yeah,
1: if we face violence. Um, I think just to set out this very clearly, I don't think there is any one right or wrong way for anybody to react to something that they do not believe is appropriate that they did not consent to we have all of us individually unique responses to a stressor so some people may want to fight some people may freeze some people may want to run away and some people may do everything that they can within their power to make that person who is doing that to them feel like it's okay and i am one of those people it's called the fawn response it's one of the new fight flight freeze reactions to a stressor um, and i think it's very important to realize that whatever we can say to you in the context of how should you respond if you don't respond in any of those ways and you respond in a way that is completely unique to you that's also completely fine there is no right way to be a human being and there is no right way to respond to sexual harassment or to respond to assault Um, but to say saying that there are a couple of things that you can try to do or I mean it kind of is a little bit ethereal as a concept but try to remove yourself from that situation try to get away as fast as you can I think is probably if you have an injury seek medical assistance Um, and if possible if you are in the right headspace to do so maybe try to obtain some degree of evidence even if you don't bring this to the police or to any authorities and it is entirely your prerogative whether you bring this to the authorities or not as it's your decision but If it will help you at a later date, maybe inform someone or take a photograph or a screenshot of inappropriate comments or um, save physical evidence if you have that. But apart from that, there is no right or wrong way to respond.
3: Can I also add on to um, how at times people like survivors will consider, um, especially if the situation occurs in a between... Um, an intimate in an intimate setting or with someone whom you know personally, you will then consider what it means uh, if you were to approach them or to report them and you will think about how it will implicate them and especially when dealing with such um, tenuous relationships, I think it's important to make your own um, perspective clear when you're articulating it to let's say a partner or a friend who um may or may not have known that they took advantage of you. Um I think being able to have that emotional safety to say how you feel is really important if the situation warrants it, if you are safe enough to do so. But if you don't feel safe, you can always vocalize your needs. Um I have done this a few times on public transport. Uh, Personally speaking, after evaluating the situation and seeing that it's possible to respond and I feel safe enough to say what I feel. Um, let's say someone is staring at me for an extended period of time, like looking making me feel like a piece of meat, or like making me feel really uncomfortable, I would just go up to them and say, like, don't look at me, like like look at look at the traffic light, or don't like look at the traffic, don't look at me. And then I feel more empowered because the person will just like like nod their head and turn away because they know that I have a voice and they're not able to step on me like that. So yeah.
2: Sorry, just to add on to that, um, I understand how it feels like to be uh intimidated to talk to a stranger because I am incredibly introverted myself. Um and I well, some people might feel intimidated to just walk up to someone and say, Hey, don't don't look at me that way. Um, there are other things that can be done like um, just approach uh, a bystander and and if you can just say that uh, I'm sorry, can you stand with me for a while um, and wait with me while my friend comes till my friend comes because this person is making me feel uncomfortable or if you can speak to um, an authority. I, I heard of this one story about someone, this lady that was driving and she saw someone in her rearview mirror, that someone was tailgating her and following her. So what she did was she drove to the police station instead, and the person stopped following her. So there's also a possible uh, a possibility to just, to reach out to the authorities and reach out to to something, someone, someone else besides yourself, um, if there is an opportunity to do so.
0: Thank you all for sharing. Um, I think, Don, I have to say you're very brave <laughs> for approaching individuals like that because I think, sad to say, I feel like many of us can relate to, you know, being in an inc- incident where you are either on a train or, like, walking along the street and then you get an unwarranted, like, glance or, like, stare and you don't really know what to do. You're like, should I should I look away? So um, I think I'm very much like, Suli, I feel very shy and embarrassed. I'm like, okay... Maybe um, what I should do is to kind of just walk away. But I do want to kind of um, just add on to the point. Also, I think that recognizing that you have um, recognizing who your support group is, I think that's very crucial and quite a big part of my own experience as well. I think every time, um, and I think this is this is boils back to having like a community, right? Like every time somebody, a close friend feels uncomfortable, they know that there's a group of girls or like friends that can be there for them, Um, we are just one call away, you know, we will come down if if something um, occurs or makes them feel slightly uncomfortable. So I think, yeah, recognizing your support system is really quite an important part of this whole aspect. Um, Before we carry on with the conversation, um, I do want to kind of put the spotlight on the two of you guys again, because I think we're going to move on to talking about um, why is it hard for, you know, survivors to talk about their experiences and conversations like these but i do want to jump back on talking about you guys so each of you have a very big part of or you guys are very involved in talking about advocating for sexual um, assault and violence survivors and victims so i do want to know what made you guys start on this journey of advocating for sexual harassment and assault
3: Feel free to start, anyone. <laughs> OK, I can go first. Um, I started Girl Talk um, as part of my FYP, my final year project back in university. And it actually all started because I was kept called when I was on the way home from work. And I posted Insta story, like just trying to understand, like trying to negotiate, why was I so scared to respond? And why do men even kept call at all? Like, what do they expect from the outcome? and a bunch of girls like replied me on my insta story and at that time i already had an fyp group so i was thinking of pitching this as the topic and we were really scared honestly because um you know right now there might be a lot of like contention especially when you post things online um we were afraid that people would not agree with our stance on how you know you are never responsible for someone else's abusive actions but then we, we took a leap of faith and um, we never looked back.
2: Um, I can go next. Um, I just have to say, Dawn, I really appreciate your work. I've been following Go Talk for a while, and uh, it's really inspiring. So, thank you guys for doing what you do. Um, as for myself, it was um, it was a very long painful and isolating journey um, in processing the trauma and I just think that nobody should ever have to go through that so I guess in a very raw sense I wanted to to do something about it It's, it's a way I guess it's also a way for me to move forward from the assault and and do something however big however small and I feel that the more we talk about it as we are right now, I think that there are more conversations about it, the more people are aware that things are really as bad as it is. And I think speaking as a survivor, um, talking about it makes it seem more real to other people because even to myself, sometimes I feel that these are news that you read about um, online or in the TV and you, its, it's doesn't, it doesn't feel real because it doesn't feel like it happens to people like you and me, but... Um, hearing it from a survivor, it, it makes it seem like it's more serious than it is. And hopefully people will take it more seriously. And I started Soul Lattest Talk because um, I know how difficult it is to access appropriate support from, from people. Even, even people with the best intention, people within your support network, um, they can only support you in the ways that they know how to. And that might not necessarily be the support that a survivor needs. And sometimes in asking for it and not getting it, that, that whole that whole process itself, it can be more traumatizing than, than the incident. So um, I know it was very isolating and I want to provide the space for other survivors to feel less alone. Thank you for sharing.
1: Okay, me last. Um, I think Suli and I probably have, I mean, of course our experiences are not the same, but in this discussion about dealing with our own trauma and our own experiences was very isolating. Um, For me, that was really probably the the key word. Um, After I experienced sexual harassment at work, my my boss sexually harassed me. Um, He continued to do so for a very long time. And I tried to speak out about it from the first day that it happened. I told a uh, someone who was essentially my supervisor, who said to me, "She said, um, if you know what's good for you, you will not say anything." Um, I then tried to speak to HR, and HR quit because they said she couldn't she couldn't deal with something like this. It was too stressful for her, so she quit. Um, I then spoke to more senior people in my law firm. They all told me that there was nothing that they could do. I then went to the founding partners of the law firm and they sat me down and they said, there is nothing quote unquote, there is nothing that this man can do that will make us discipline him. He is a foundation of this law firm. And as a result, there is nothing he could do to you that will make us believe you over him. And they told me that I was bullying him by trying to bring this forward. So after that for about a year, I, Stopped talking about it, I did nothing. I internalized it. I became incredibly stressed and very, very, very anxious. Um, I didn't really like being around people. I didn't really know what to do. I definitely didn't trust myself. And it was only really when the Me Too movement started to gain traction in the US and started to get really very publicized in about 2017 that I then thought, oh, okay, wait, other people are experiencing exactly the same thing that I went through and they're being believed and this is something that maybe I shouldn't have to go through this alone. So I I went to therapy because at that point that made me realize that actually something bad had happened um, and I then, began this journey and advocating for survivors, I met people at AWARE, I started to speak about my experiences, I started working with um, people at Here to Change, which allows you to anonymously report and to discuss your, I guess, get support from a community of people who have experienced sexual violence. And for me, at least, it became very cathartic to speak out, because initially people's reactions, my mother, my boyfriend at the time, all of people who I would have called my very, very good friends said, why would you say anything about this? You know, you're gonna ruin your career. You're gonna ruin your reputation. What would people think? And I started to realize after quite a while that I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care what people thought because if somebody had said to me, I believe you, I think this is incredibly important and we need to deal with this together. At the time, then I would not have had the experiences and the stress that I have had now. I would have been able to process it very, very differently. So, and in Singapore, 40% of people say they have been harassed in the workplace. And how many people do you actually know who are happy to speak to anyone about that? 40%. So... This is why I do what I do, and this is why I st- started to talk about my own experiences to normalize this and to make coming forward with these incidences and these experiences less um, alien to people.